0: Welcome to In the Hot Seat with the Tenney Group. I'm Spencer Tenney. It's good to be with you. Today, we have Wendy Greenland from Open Force with us. I cannot wait to have this conversation. Wendy, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Before we heat things up, Wendy, why don't we just take 30 seconds and tell our audience about uh, the work that you're doing at Open Force, um, your title over there so that we have a little context before we get into our conversation.
1: So again, Wendy Greenland with OpenForce, I'm the chief executive officer and president there. We are an independent contract management system. We are a third party administrator for any company that is looking to work with independent contractors. It is a complex uh, (laughs) proposition to work with contractors and they're in higher demand than they've ever been before. And so what we do is we simplify the complexity and we have the smartest technology out there to manage that relationship and make sure that the independent contractor is successful and they're happy it, with uh, the business ownership and entrepreneurialism that they have. And the contracting company that wants to work with them is also successful and can minimize the risk of misclassification along the way.
0: All right. Well, let's get to it. Um, where our worlds often collide Wendy, is in the M&A part of the industry. And often when it comes to due diligence. So so what are the things transportation business owners are concerned the most about when we get to the stage, when we signed a letter of intent? What do you hear owners coming to you about as far as their concerns?
1: Documentation. <laughs> There's no question that documentation is the number one issue that we hear when it comes to uh, a company that's either looking to acquire or be acquired. They are concerned about the contracts. They're concerned about the compliance, um, whether they're not, whether or not they have everything in order, um, are compliance items out of date. Um, how are the operations teams managing those compliance items and whether or not they can provide in the data room everything that they have and 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 make sure that it's clean and um, that any investor can take a look at it and find that it's a solid audit trail for compliance and, and it's an attractive business.
0: Well, that sounds like a tall order. So um, l- let me just ask you, I mean, Provide an example. What's the typical person when it comes to compliance? How ready is the typical business owner when it comes when they're at that point of, of letter of intent? How exposed are they at that point of the process?
1: Well, you know, we we run into it on occasion with M and A. We also run in, in, into into um, documentation issues when a customer or client is looking to be audited or they're being audited. So what we find is that those companies that are using a third-party administrator for this kind of work tend to be a little bit better off because the technology can facilitate the documentation. For example, um, we I was talking to a, a client yesterday about this. He said that initially, before he started looking at open Force as a possible third party administrator solution, he was a general counsel. He thought for sure he had all of his documentation in a row in, in, in exactly what he needed. He had the contract set up exactly how he needed. He called it his mousetrap it was it was beautiful. everything was was set up exactly how it should be from a compliance standpoint. But then they went through an audit and as they went through the audit, they found that the operations teams were actually putting notes on the contract saying sign here, just ignore this and sign here. And so even with all of the work that he had done to set up this beautiful process and, and compliance, um, standard operating procedure the ops teams weren't really following and the audit proved that out and and he found that they they failed miserably at that audit so then when they stepped back and said we need a technology to enable all of this so we have visibility and we can run reports on exactly who's compliant who's not and they're able to have that quick hit visibility through the technology with an audit trail that logs every step of the process He found that that was something that he needed to do right away. He implemented OpenForce. They initially, um, not long after implementing, they got a pretty big claim and they were able to immediately provide within just a couple of clicks, everything that they needed from a compliance standpoint. And they easily won that claim and and were able to put it behind them very quickly. When it comes to M&A, it's the same thing. The documentation you think is there may not be there, and the only way to know for sure is if you have technology that's really working for you and ensuring that all those compliance items are are in place in the way that you think that they are.
0: So, for the, the the companies watching this, you know, that may have their own process but don't necessarily have the technology to to produce it consistently and reliably when you need it. Can you put in perspective what's the actual financial risk or the cost? of not being able to perform in that M&A environment?
1: Well, in the M&A environment, I think that any investor is gonna look at this as a a major red flag as they they start looking and going through the data room and understanding what's there, what's not there. And, And also how quickly you can access it. Is it consistent and reliable, like you said, and as they're trying to access it, do you have teams of people trying to pull it all together or are you just providing that simple one or two click, um, you know, lists of files for drivers, for example, that you need to do. I think the risk for an investor is huge, and I think the risk is is that they're going to they're going to walk away from the deal and move on to another company that's really put a lot of time and energy into fixing this particular issue on the misclassification side, I think that's where the risk is so when you're an investor and you 're looking at a company that's working with independent contractors, the risk of the investment for misclassification is pretty significant. You can talk about a simple claim that could cost you a few thousand, all the way to a class action that could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, depending on how poorly kept these compliance items are. And so the is gonna be looking to see, do you have, not only do you have them in place, but how quickly can you access them? How strong is the team in understanding what they have to have in place and how they can access it quickly if there's a claim. Those are all red flags that an investor is going to be looking for through the M&A process.
0: Wow. That is uh, that's pretty serious. So now that we've established that the financial risk, both in inside and outside an M&A environment, no matter what, you have that exposure. Right. W- without the t- you have not, that exposure. Without the mm-hmm. technology, what maybe is one baby step, maybe two baby steps that business owners can start taking to, to move in that direction of what you think and what your business is um, proving out is required to, to make sure that you don't have that exposure.
1: So we recommend initially a, a risk assessment. We we do them. I know many attorneys in the industry do them. And and I think what that does is it kind of, it's, the, it's that audit I was talking about. Understanding, pull a bunch of files and let's just audit and do a risk assessment and see um, if if the contracts as well written as you think they are, are being executed in a way that is clean from a compliance standpoint, do they have records for MVRs and background checks and drug screens that are up to date and timely? And, and do they have the insurances? And are those insurances really, do they provide the coverages that they need? And, and are they up to date and actually active? Those are some of the things that an audit and a risk assessment can initially do. And then the other thing is, do your contracts flow all the way through? We call it kind of a diamond alignment from the shippers requirements to your requirements to the contractors requirements. All of those contracts should align all the way through. And that's another piece to the risk assessment you can do. I think that's a great first step. And then from there you can say, how clean is our compliance? What are the steps that we need to take? How then would we utilize a third party administrator a technology to help facilitate this and in a way that that is meaningful in case at some point you do want to um, go through the M a process?
0: You know you mentioned as far as um, involving a third party and you and I we know all kinds of talented professionals that went in, across the industry in terms of risk management um, that ha- that are around this issue. what's the difference in terms of an in-house, process or procedure that is um, designed to address the, the, these risks versus having a third party facilitate these same issues to, to limit your exposure?
1: So, first of all, there's, there's a couple of things that I think are important in, in answering this question. One is, are you a delivery company company or are you a technology company? Right, because the technology in in managing uh, misclassification is so complex, and it takes so much work from our development teams, constantly trying to keep ahead of the game when it comes to how do we support the model, what vendors should be we, we be working with, how does our settlement platform work, who's issuing the 1099, all of the tech technology and solutions that a third party can bring to the table are people who are thinking about this regularly and that's their business. Your business should be delivering goods. You shouldn't be sitting there trying to build Word, Microsoft Word. You're going to use Microsoft Word from a company who does that every day and they know how to do it right. So are you trying to build a technology and then find yourself in a situation where you're getting underwater trying to keep up with the technology? Because that's not your core competency delivery is so use use companies use partners that that can provide that core competency and partner alongside with you to manage this so that's the first piece the second piece is that you should always be thinking about um, misclassification at the core if you are working with a 1099 population worker, worker classification is huge. So if you're trying to do it all in house, then what you're doing is every step in the life cycle of that independent contractor, you're creating an operationalizing risk potentially. So, so instead by, by working with a third party, you're creating separation. So you think about AB5 in California, that ABC test, these, all of these multi-factor tests by state, federal, and local agencies that are gonna come in and say, should they have been classified as a 1099 or a W-2? Well, let's take a look at every step in the process. And when you do that, you find that you have operational people that are having conversations all throughout that are getting you in trouble. And they're the ones that are gonna be on the stand in front of that judge trying to say, oh, well, I told them they could go on PTO. When in reality, that's a, that's a very employee-like term and the judge is gonna say, well, you know, you treated them like an employee. They're really then an employee and now you've got misclassification. The more you can separate out who's working with the independent contractor and having those conversations so that it's outside of your organization, the more you create separation between direction and control. You do not want to have anybody in your organization at any step um, exerting control over an independent contractor. They're an independent business. They should be treated as such.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like what they say. Perception is, you know, is reality. Perception
1: is reality. Yeah, I mean, I think mm-hmm. that
0: if it looks like an employee and smells like an employee, <laughs> um, right? There, th- there you go. Even if you have all the processes to back it up, um, you still have an uphill battle to try to make that case, uh, unless you're using a right. third party. So, one That's thing that right. I'm really, I'm really interested in um, from your vantage point because it's a really unique lens into the industry. Driver shortage. It's the number one issue in the industry. Um, can't escape it. From your vantage point, how do we fix this thing?
1: <laughs> this is a complex if I had in, the answer, in 60 seconds I, I would be in 60 seconds right I I would be a very wealthy woman um so the driver shortage is is something that we're not going to be able to fix overnight and really i'm not absolutely sure it's a driver shortage i think it's a capacity issue right suddenly we have a demand that has far outpaced the ability of us to to keep up and deliver properly especially in courier and last mile those home deliveries have just exploded and so You know, we see a lot of uh, transportation companies that are saying, I don't have time to fix this. I'm concerned about compliance. I would say technology is probably the quickest fix that you can you can do in order to get on top of the driver shortage in, in your company for a number of reasons. One is. If your compliance is clean and you can keep that driver happy, you're going to retain them. And when you're retaining them, it's a lot less expensive to retain a driver than it is to recruit a driver. So what we're doing right now is focusing a lot more on driver retention. We have a a wonderful independent contractor benefits program that provides that driver medical dental vision, 401k, tax help, cash, cash advance, um, all the things that uh, a uh, contracting company shouldn't be providing because if they do now they're now they're at risk of ten, of uh, misclassification they put a target on their back. So partnering with a company that can provide that driver and, and make it um, a retention program that really helps that driver to be happy, when you're partnering together to make sure that the driver is retained, I think you make a much faster impact on the driver shortage than, than you do by, by just focusing on recruiting and, and, and so forth. I've, I've talked to trucking companies that are putting out bonuses and other things to try and attract drivers when in reality i was at the women in trucking conference a couple of months ago we were talking about with the drivers themselves they said keep us happy keep us you know provide these benefits and we'll stay we're not going to go anywhere so driver retention really for them was the number they didn't want to leave they want to be happy where they are they want to feel safe where they are they want to feel like they're appreciated where they are but you the more you show appreciation the more risk for misclassification so it's kind of a double edged sword So coming alongside of a third-party administrator who can provide those benefits, you hold them accountable for doing that with those drivers, then the driver's happy, you're happy, you have a retention program that I think can really make an impact on the driver shortage.
0: It's such an interesting uh, perspective about, um, you know, if you want to take care of your drivers, you can't win either way. You take care of your drivers, do the right thing, and now now you're having compliance issues about being too close and and, and not... uh, Protecting that that um, arm link distance from from the driver. So um, really interesting commentary though. So big picture, the trends for 22. What do you see is you know a major theme that will take place in, in uh, 2022 for transportation?
1: Well, I would say that the issue I just talked about, I think that's going to be a a trend for 2022, especially um, coming up with ways to provide retention programs that are meaningful. And I think technology can be definitely a part of that. Third-party administrator solutions are part of that. Um, You know, I was reading the most recent Deloitte study on the world of work and what they're finding is in their most recent study that 33% Thirty-three percent of all companies, not just transportation, but all companies, are going to be using gig workers or um, ten ninety-nine contractors over the next eighteen months. So, so they're they're expanding that workforce. So, when you think about it, if if you know, you look at things like same day pay, if I can get immediate pay, if I can if I can um, do, get some cash in hand, you're going to see a lot more of that as a trend. The impact on transportation, I think, becomes how do we get those quick cash drivers who really want to make some money, how do we teach them the things they need to know and come alongside them to say, you know, you'll make more in courier, you'll make more in last mile and you'll make a lot more in over the road trucking. So how do we help them? Cause really they're going into this because they want flexibility. They want, um, They want higher earning potential. They want to be business owners, but they don't know how to do it successfully. They need insurance. They don't understand those things. They need to make sure they have all of their documentation and compliance in order. They don't understand those things. But if we can teach them how to do that successfully and they can move into some of these really great transportation driver opportunities where there is a bigger earning potential, I think that that could have a meaningful impact long term not just on the driver shortage but on transportation as a whole because it's going to be a very it's be, it's going to become a very uh, popular and more interesting opportunity for people who want to be business owners and I think we're at a we're at a, an amazing point in time where we have the ability to have an impact on that long-term here in 2022.
0: Well, I'm hopeful that this conversation will actually create some interest around the industry itself. And I really appreciate you being here with us. So let me wrap it up with a little bit of a wild card. You know, you mentioned a little light reading, a Deloitte report, which uh, that sounds awful to me, but um, <laughs> um, I'm curious, um, are you a reader? I am. So what 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 would be something, um, What would be a a recommendation for a good business book uh, for our network, maybe to look at for maybe some leaders um, trying to grow in this upcoming year? What what might and then what and then what might be just a guilty pleasure fun book uh, to just enjoy, just to escape the business itself?
1: Oh wow! Um, So I have a list, and I make everybody in my organization read my list. So now I just have to pick (laughs) which one off my list. Um, you know, from a leader standpoint, my philosophy has always been that it shouldn't be about you necessarily in this moment. It should be about creating an organization that outlives you. Right. And so you need to create leaders underneath you that can then pick up the mantle and keep that organization going, because you never know in life. Right. We we only have short periods of time sometimes within organizations. And, and you know, I know that you work with a lot of companies that want to sell and they're looking for acquisitions and they want to they want to they want to move on and maybe exit. Um, so you're, you want to create an organization where you, you are creating leaders and those leaders are creating leaders. And so one of the, the books that I highly recommend in doing that is called the leader's greatest return, um, by John C. Maxwell. Um, so in his book, he talks about my job as a leader is not to be the best my job as a leader is to impart that and grow leaders underneath me so that they can begin to take on the work and the more I do that and then the more they create leaders the better organization you have overall um, I just gave that book to my executive team last night at a at a dinner and so it, it's kind of fresh in my mind
0: I like it the
1: yeah the guilty pleasure I would say Probably the tipping point um,
0: from by Gladwell. Gladwell. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, by Gladwell. Um, Actually, there's another book he just wrote that I read recently, and I forget the name of it. But I think I his books are all just guilty pleasures for me because it it's not necessarily business related, but it teaches me a lot about. There's so many great statistics and metrics that he uses to kind of teach you about the human condition and, and, and how people think and why some of the things are going on in this world. And the most recent, I'll have to find it. Is I it, can't the, remember is the, it name the bomber it. mafia? No, it's his, one of his most recent books gives you a lot of insight into what's going on like last year and in 2020, when we had all of the writing and, you know, a little bit about the insights about what's going on in the human condition. And I, and I do get a lot of, of um, just kind of take my mind out of open force for a few minutes and think about what's going on in the world. I think anything that Gladwell puts out, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of.
0: Well, I love it. I would love to see that list that you're requiring your, uh, your team to read. I'm sure that is fascinating. Uh, but Wendy, thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing your expertise and your knowledge of what's happening in the transportation industry. Um, I know it's going to impact people and, um, and provide value to them. So that's going to do it for us here. We will see you next time.